Hello and welcome back to another episode of Ideas Worth Trying. It's Harley Harim here. And on today's episode, I want to talk about mass formation, mass formation psychosis and the coronavirus narrative. So a few weeks ago, I saw an interview with Dr. or Professor Matthias Desmet uh, with Rainer Fulmik, who's from the Corona Investigative Committee investigating this uh, pandemic. And then a few days ago, I saw uh, a podcast discussion with Dr. Matthias Desmet, Robert Malone, and Peter McCulloch. Let's have a little chat about that, and I'll just go through some of the main points and some... Uh, uh, something to take away at the end. A little bit about Professor Desmond. So he's a professor uh, of clinical psychology at Ghent University, and he has a master's degree also in uh, statistics. And in the beginning of the crisis, he said that he was studying the statistics and the numbers, and he noticed that they were very wrong. And at the same time, he noticed that people continued to believe in these numbers and the, the statistics coming out. He started to study it from the perspective of mass psychology. And uh, because he, he knew that mass formation has a huge impact on the individual's intelligence and cognitive functioning. So we had a feeling that this was the only thing that could explain why highly intelligent people started to believe the narrative and the numbers so Professor Desmond, he says there's four things that need to exist and need to be in place if you want a large-scale mass phenomenon to emerge. So the first thing he was saying is there needs to be a lot of social, socially isolated people, people who experience a lack of social bonds. The second one is that there needs to be a lot of people who experience a lack of sense-making in life. And the third and the fourth conditions are that there needs to be a lot of free-floating anxiety and a lot of free-floating psychological discon uh, discontent. So, which he goes on to clarify that uh, so meaning, anxiety, and discontent is not connected to a specific representation. So it needs to be in the mind without the people being able to connect it to something. So if, if you have these four things, he says that uh, the, so the lack of social bonds, lack of sense-making and free-floating anxiety and free-floating psychological discontent, then society is highly at risk of uh, or for the emergence of mass, this mass phenomenon or mass formation. So he goes on to say that these four conditions exist, actually existed shortly before the corona crisis. Uh, he was saying that that there was a pandemic of burnout, that uh, over 40 to 70% of the people experienced their jobs as completely senseless. Well, I can actually relate to that also where I am in Germany. I know a few different people that have burnout and they haven't been at their jobs. They've gone to psychological clinics and done like a detox or recovery. Um, even at my old job, a lot of people were always wanting to do extra social kind of social impact kind of work uh, outside the normal job. So, um, yeah, I've also I can also relate to this and support this claim. So he he says that in the um, well, he says that this is described in the book called "Bullshit Jobs" by by past professor at Harvard. Uh, David Garaba, who died last year, in 2020, I think it was. Yeah, book uh, you can reference. 
then he says, if you look at the use of psychopharmaceuticals, uh, he said it's huge, especially in Belgium. He was saying that this is this shows how much discontent there was in the society. So he's given the example from Belgium, like every year, 11 million people use over 300 million doses of antidepressants. So it says that these four conditions really existed. So lack of sense-making, lack of social bonds, free-floating anxiety, and then free-floating discontent. So they existed already before. So then he goes on to explain that this, uh, the free-floating anxiety is the most painful psychological phenomenon someone can ex- experience. It's extremely painful. It leads to panic attacks, to all kinds of extremely painful psychological experiences. So what people want in this situation is something to connect their anxiety to. They're looking for an explanation for their anxiety. So with this free-floating anxiety highly present in the population, and the media provides a narrative which indicates an object of anxiety and at the same time describes a strategy to deal with this object of anxiety, then all the anxiety connects to this object and people are willing to follow the strategy to deal with this object no matter what the cost. This is what happens at the beginning of mass formation. He goes then goes on to say the second step. People start to uh, start a collective and heroic battle with this object of anxiety. This creates a new kind of social bond and a new kind of sense-making. Suddenly, life is all directed at battling the object of anxiety, which establishes a new connection with other people. And that the sudden switch of a negative state to a radical social connection to the exact opposite, to a massive social connection that is experienced in a crowd. So he's saying this sudden switch leads to to a sort of mental intoxication. And that's what makes mass formation or crowd formation the exact equivalent of hypnosis. He says all people who have, de- who have been describing or have been studying mass formation, such as Gustav Le Bon or William McDougall, Elias Conetti, Canetti, have remarked that mass formation is not similar to hypnosis, but is exactly equal to hypnosis. So mass formation is a sort of hypnosis. So he then says that uh, what happens is that at the moment when people experience mental intoxication, it doesn't matter anymore whether the narrative is correct or wrong, even bluntly wrong. What matters is that it leads to this mental intoxication. And that's why they continue to go along with the narrative, even if they could know by thinking for one second that it is wrong. So he says that this is the central mechanism of mass formation. And that makes it so difficult to destroy it. Because for people, it doesn't matter when the narrative is wrong. Um, And what uh, we try to do is that we try to constantly show that the narrative is wrong. For people, that's not what it's all about. It's all about the fact that they don't want to go back to the painful state of free-floating anxiety. So he says that uh, what we have to realize is if we want to change this state of affairs, that the first thing we have to do is acknowledge this painful anxiety. So to think about why we get in the state of lack of sense-making, lack of social bonds, free-floating anxiety, and massive psychological discontent, and try to tell people now we don't need the 
a corona crisis to establish a new social bond. So we have to look for other ways to deal with the psychological problems that existed before corona crisis and try to find other solutions. So we don't need this, uh, this kind of mass phenomenon to solve the problems. He goes on to say that the mass formation is actually a symptomatic solution for the real psychological problems. So in his opinion, this crisis is, uh, in the first place, is a, is a large societal and psych psychological crisis, much more than a biological crisis. Um, from this state of mental intoxication, you can explain all the rest of the phenomenon of totalitarianism. So the mental intoxication leads to a narrowing of the field of attention. It makes people only see what is indicated by the narrative. He gives, as an example, he's saying that people see the victims of the coronavirus, uh, but they don't seem to see at the cognitive level, so the collateral damage of the lockdowns and all the victims that are claimed by the lockdowns. They're also not able, at an emotional level, to really feel empathy for the victims of the lockdowns. So that is uh, not because they're very egoistic, it's just the effects of this uh, psychological phenomenon. And it's definitely even as a consequence of mass formation that people do not get ego egotistic at all, but rather the opposite. The mass formation focuses your attention so much on one point that you can take everything away from the people, their psychological and physical well-being, their material well-being, and you can take it away and they will not even notice it. That's one of the major consequences of mass formation. So it's exactly the same as hypnosis, as class, classical hypnosis is saying. So when a hypnotist, during hypnosis, someone's attention is focused at, on one point. You can cut their skin, he says, and the person would not notice it. So when a hypnotist, or he says, when a hypnosis is used as a kind of an, an anesthesia during a surgical operation, a rather simple hypnotic procedure is sufficient to make people completely insensitive to pain. So you can, without any problem, he says, you can cut their skin. And that shows, that shows us that the focusing of attention is so strong, both in mass formation or in hypnosis, that people are really insensitive to all personal losses they experience as a consequence. So a another consequence, he says, that is very typical of totalitarian status or states, is that people become radically intolerant to dissident voices. Because if someone tells another story, if someone claims that the official story is wrong, then this person threatens to take or to wake the people up and they will get angry because they, they're confronted with uh, initial anxiety and the initial psychological discontent. So they direct all that aggression at these dissonant voices, the, so the other voices. And at the same time, they're radically tolerant uh, to their leaders or the people who, who pronounce the mainstream narrative. So these people can actually cheat and lie and manipulate and do everything they want. Um, but they will always be forgiven by the crowd because the crowd seems to think that they do it for their own sake. So that's also part of the mechanism of mass formation. So he goes on to finally say that even if we would succeed in waking up the masses now, 
they would fall prey to a different story in a few years and they would be hypnotized again if we do not succeed in solving the real problem of this crisis, namely the question of why did we as a society get in this state in which a large part of the population feels anxious, depressed, experiences a lack of sense, feels socially isolated. So he stresses the point that this is the real problem. And if we do not succeed in finding out where this problem comes from, then the masses will always be susceptible to leaders who try to lure them into a mass formation. So he says the real question of this crisis is, what is there in our view of man and of the world in a way in which we look at life that makes us experience lack of sense-making? So in his opinion, we must conclude that something in our materialistic, mechanistic view of man in the world that leads up to a radical destruction of the real social structures and social bonds and of the feeling that life makes sense. In the discussion at the end, there was some, some points to take away, which I think is uh, what many have discussed, that there are some things that people should keep doing. So there's many doctors and nurses and health professionals and, uh, I guess, victims speaking up. He recommends that, four things he recommends. So he said that people should continue to speak out uh, with an open heart and with self-awareness and show leadership. You know, it's like a moral obligation even though it le could lead to uh, license being taken away or being sacked or something like this, like it's, uh, you should try as much as possible to do. Number two is connect in the real world with people who have the same feeling that something is wrong. I heard this story in uh, a city in Germany where there was uh, many parents that formed a new school with 100 students. And they finally started and then all of a sudden the... Uh, the government came and uh, shut it down because this school didn't want to do testing, didn't want mask wearing. Disappointing to hear this, but this is the kind of connections like you can connect and then you can do try and do different things, but uh, try and keep fighting. Um, a school with 100 students, that's a pretty good, I think that's a pretty good start. The third thing that he was saying is to a new normal. So offer that something else is available because the last thing that somebody would want is going back to the old way, the position that put them into this, uh, that created the free-floating anxiety. So he's saying that offer something better than this technocratic, transhumanistic agenda on the blockchain. I think this comes to connecting and experimenting with like-minded people. Then the fourth thing he recommends is uh, do it all with the principle of non-violent resistance. And I think Noam Chomsky talks about this, or he, he mentioned this in a podcast episode that he always instructed or advised students throughout his uh, career. You know, the state is very powerful. If you come with violence, they come with more violence. They have the resources available. So it's uh, non-violence is the... Uh, the best way, and I've heard this from many people, so the principle of nonviolent resistance I think is very important. If you haven't heard of mass formation, go check it out. With uh, There's an idea I think is worth trying, is to uh, look into this, read it, discuss it with your family, friends and colleagues by Professor Matthias Desmond. I heard a few podcasts 
already with him. And I think these are some things that uh, would be good to discuss now, especially with connecting in the real world and a little bit more offline and experimenting even with growing your own food and stuff like this and trying trying new things. That's it for this episode of Ideas Worth Trying. We'll catch you on the next one.